Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. So you, when you and I were growing up in the West, specifically here in the States, uh, we, we were surrounded by and swimming in what, what we would generally call a majority Christian culture. Fast forward to today, we're, we're swimming in secularism. Secularism is the water that we're swimming in. And we are uh, really rapidly becoming what we would call a post-Christian culture. Uh, Mark Sayers uh, does a good job of talking about what this means. It means that a post-Christian culture is a culture that wants the goals of Christianity, but they want it without Christ. It's the kingdom without the king. Welcome again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Perot, and again this week, we want to focus on discipleship and resiliency, both spiritual and emotional. I hope you were with us the last couple of weeks when Gabe talked with Peter Scazzaro about both his book and the ministry. They're both entitled Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Now, Pete and Gabe had a great discussion about the need for discipleship that can both heal and then form our emotions and our behaviors, bringing them more into conformity with Christ. If you missed that discussion, remember the full conversation between Pete and Gabe can be found on the Q Media platform at qideas.org. If you're a subscriber, you can find it, just look under the Q podcast. Now, their discussion was aimed mainly at adults, especially leaders. But what about our kids? And this is important. Even before the pandemic, our kids have become increasingly emotionally, mentally, and spiritually frail. They lacked deep connections and foundations. And then the COVID pandemic hit, and that only exacerbated an already troubling trend with our kids. What can be done? Well, thankfully, Gabe, there are those who have thought deeply about this issue, have done some good research, and they say while there's work to be done, there is hope. So if you're somebody that has children, I think you're going to really appreciate the topic and the conversation we're having today around what does it mean to develop resilient children? What does it mean for us to think about faith in our children's lives? How do we develop that well? How do we make sure it's authentic? How do we make sure... They're taking on their own beliefs, and they're not just adopting what their parents say or think, but that it starts to become their own. And what is the process to get there, as well as all of the challenges that come with us trying to do that? And so today I'm excited to have with us Matt Markins. He's the president, chief strategy officer of an organization called Awana. It's a worldwide nonprofit ministry focused on providing Bible-based evangelism and discipleship solutions for ages 2 to 18. You'll hear in this conversation that Awana was a big part of my childhood. I was a part of this program, memorizing scripture. It's a big part of what I attribute today even to the faith that I have, to my understanding of scripture, to the verses that I still remember today, started at that early age. And Matt speaks publicly on organizational leadership, child discipleship. He's the co-author of the book, Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. And he and his wife, Katie, are lifelong children's ministry advocates and have two teenage sons. You're going to hear about that and why this has been such a priority to him. And I would just say to all of you listening who are parents or grandparents, we understand that the age that we're in is going to require a double down seriousness about how we're 
raising our children. There's no way our children can survive the age that we're in today without having a foundation and a grounding that parents and grandparents are helping shape in the imagination of our children. There's so many competing voices, competing technology, competing narratives, competing stories against and directly that refute the Christian story. And so I don't think there's anything more important we could think about if we're trying to shape the future of where the church goes, the future of what faithfulness looks like, unless we're going to get serious about what it means to help our children. So let's listen in now to this conversation with Matt. Yes, let's. Well, Matt, welcome to the Q Ideas podcast. It's great to have you here. It's good to be with you, Gabe. Yeah, so Matt and I go back as friends as well as colleagues, and I'm so thrilled for the Q community right now to just get to hear this conversation. I know I'm going to learn a lot, and I think all of us are going to learn a lot around such an important topic around children, how we think about the way that they form, where we sit in the culture today, all the um, opportunities that they have now where they're being exposed to so much information, so many opinions, worldviews, imagery, data. And you sit here today caring deeply for how that's affecting our children, what our role is for the church. Um, and, and I just want to go back to like why you care so much. I mean, you're an adult like me. I mean, I know you have children. You've raised two children that are teenagers about to fly the, the nest um, here soon, 16 and 19 years old. But you stay committed to the earliest ages. You care so deeply about this. Why is that? Well, it's a very, very good to be with you. And it's, a, as you said, a conversation that's super important to me and on my heart. My wife and I have two sons, 19 and 17, and, and raising them, discipling them has honestly been the biggest, uh, biggest joy of our lives. But it, for us, it goes back, uh, for me, it goes back to childhood. Uh, my earliest, one of my earliest memories is the day that my dad walked out of the house. So I'm sitting on my bedroom floor, um, my brother's, who's five years older than me, to my left, and he's reading me the Disney Golden Books. Remember those books yeah. with the golden spine? Mm-hmm. Well, as he's uh, reading me these books, uh, he's really distracting me because right directly in front of me is my door, which uh, was open. My parents left the door open. Storming back and forth is my father, who's carrying uh, coat hangers draped over his arm back and forth. He's carrying cardboard boxes out. The emotional violence of this day, it just still reverberates in my mind. And so... But what I remember mostly about that day, though, is my brother's presence hovering over me. Mm. He was a hero. At eight years old, he was just right there protecting me, distracting me, mm. um, and really stepping up as a, as a young man, as a, as a young guy. Fast forward to my uh, teenage years, um, and my father, this, this same, same, same guy, uh, was very uh, verbally and emotionally abusive. You know, visits on the weekend, the, the every other week to kind of custody uh, was a time where he would just verbally and emotionally abuse and attack and uh, where he, he gave me words like uh, divorce and custody and child support, and they were just stuck to me. Like these were part of my identity. Mm. And somehow I was wedged in the middle of this whole thing and I was part of the problem. That's what I learned about myself through all of that. Well, all throughout those years, I was going to church. My mom and my stepdad, you know, they're very imperfect people. They didn't have access to the resources that you and I have today, but they got us to church every single week. We kind of laugh about things like 
Sunday school and, and flannel graph, but those things formed me, Gabe. You hey, know? Me too, man. Yeah. <laughs> those flannel graph stories were amazing. <laughs> so while all of this emotional junk is happening with my biological father, I'm sitting at church on the weekends and God's doing something inside of me. I sense the Holy Spirit's presence. I sense learning the scriptures, learning about Jesus, and I'm growing. But throughout that journey, there were loving, caring adults in the church uh, investing in me. Fast forward to uh, the time I'm 16. My dad calls me on the phone. He's in and out of marriages, in and out of relationships. He says, Matt, I really just don't, I don't want to see you anymore. Hangs up the phone. And so, like, what do you do with that, right? So, when that time period that I'm grappling with all of that, uh, I'm on the phone with a girlfriend, and Gabe, this is back when your phone freedom was as long as your cord. Right. So if you had a seven-foot cord, you had 14 feet of phone freedom <laughs> radius, you know? So uh, my stepdad, um, uh, who, who had this really strict phone limit, you know, 15 minutes and you got to get off. So I'm on the phone with my girlfriend, and at 15 minutes and one second, he says, Matt, get off the phone, you know, really loudly. <laughs> like picks it up. Oh, the, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when parents would do that. I, I one time was talking to Rebecca in college, and it was too, I guess I'd called too late. And her mom, she she realized her mom's like listening in on the conversation. And it was like, got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. So I was so humiliated by that. And I was a compliant child. And so I hung up that phone. I, I stormed the living room. I yelled at my stepdad. And I find myself on all fours in my room. And I don't know what my mom said to him, but he was back there in a split second. He was hovering over me with his big frame. I'm crying. And next thing I know, he's crying. And he says, Matt, I'm sorry. And it was the first time that a male father figure in my life had ever wow. looked at me and said, I'm sorry. And with genuine repentance in his eyes. So this rough, emotionally abusive environment, uh, that happens. And in that same time period, there was a pastor who was mentoring me. He'd come pick me up and we'd go to softball games and we'd go get ice cream. We'd go to the park. He'd say, bring your Bible. He was investing in me and mentoring me. Uh, his wife, uh, Nancy, would write you know, in these small Baptist churches, right? He would pick up a card in the back, or mm -hmm. she'd pick up a card. She'd write, she'd write me little encouragement notes from the, from the church pew and give it to me, where I thought my name was divorce, child support, and custody. She told me my name was encouragement, leadership, mercy, and administration. All these gifts that she saw in me, and so my eyes begin to lift into the future. But it really is all because the local church was present, yeah. active in my life. Certainly the Bible teaching and the scripture was there, but it was loving, caring adults who saw me, who lifted my eyes, gave me a new name, and allowed me to look into a different future. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that, number one. What a tough, traumatic experience to walk through as a child. I mean, mm. to watch your father leave the house mm. and to have to grow up feeling like it's your fault. So many children, this is their story. It, they, they do, yep. whether the parents ever communicate it that way or not, they walk through life feeling like, was it, or asking the question, right? Was it me? Was, yeah. was, was I the reason? Totally. Our whole family, and you think of the demonic kind of burden that a child would carry yeah. like that because of two adults making a decision um, is so hard. And, and it doesn't always end up as redemptive as your story. Mm -hmm. You know, there was something different as you were sharing that. Obviously, yeah. where the church wasn't just the ch quote unquote church playing a role, there was a faithfulness in your mom continuing yes. to take you. Oh, but then yeah. you had these people around that maybe had more margin in their life than a lot of people today, maybe, maybe felt more compelled to step in. Um, but that transformed your life. And Absolutely. 
So now you're giving your life to this same mission. You're wanting to help more and more children experience that kind of love and kindness, maybe outside the home. You, you want it inside the home, but you also want the church to show up and intersect lives wherever they can. Talk a little bit about your work now with Awana. Yeah, so... um you know, you and I were, I'm assuming, born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and 90s. So it was a, it was, that was a different world, you know, that we just kind of described. Uh, but so here we are today ministering uh, 2021. Um, it's a very different world. We're living in a, the age of digital disruption. The organization I serve uh, and lead is Awana. Awana is a global organization. We do child discipleship, leader equipping. So if child discipleship is the heartbeat, the center of the target, how do we do that? We equip churches and we equip leaders to reach, reach and disciple kids. And so we're doing that at 129 countries, 62,000 churches. Every week, 4.7 million children are gathering together in those churches in a community where a loving, caring adult has eyes on them, sees yeah. them, hears them, knows them, um, and is walking alongside of them in, yeah. their, in their faith journey. So that's what we do. Well, I love talking about it because this is part of my story. I grew up in an Awana program at mm. my church. And for those who haven't heard of Awana, it stands for a workman approved is not ashamed. And it's a scripture verse that lays out that vision. And, and so they create this environment where I remember when I was five years old, I mean, three or four years old, participating in yep. programs where I'm learning scripture every week, reciting the scripture. And, you know, you don't always know what you're reading, what you're even saying yep. when you're that age, but it's during that grammar stage yep. where a child remembers everything. I mean, they can memorize almost anything and it sticks with you. And you guys have intersected that moment and you put the word in children's hearts. And, and I still, my memory Scripture memory goes back to those earliest days. Rebecca's the same way. My yeah. wife, she was in a WANA program as a kid. Yeah. Um, but it was a very intentional way to help children start to form something deeper than just everything that was happening in the world. Yeah, you probably have listeners who are familiar, listeners who are unfamiliar. So if you're familiar with Awana, uh, that, that experience that Gabe just described is still running today. We call that classic Awana clubs. But we have two other major programs. The other one is what we call LDS, which is typically in developing nations. It's a leader-based strategy. Uh, that we've seen exponential growth globally uh, because instead of it being uh, about selling these products and resources, maybe uniforms, uh, like the more Western model, traditional model you grew up in, outside the U.S., it's very scalable and affordable. It's really yeah. about leader equipping. We equip those leaders to do it in a way that if there's zero resources, we can still make this happen. Yeah, like We're not going to let great. resources stop us from reaching and discipling children. And then the third program is a brand new one that released this last year, 2020, called Bright. And Bright is a digital delivery ecosystem where your church can facilitate a weekend child discipleship experience. So if your church has large group, small group, or Sunday school, children's church, it adapts to whatever model you use, and it's in digital delivery format. Can people learn about that? At Absolutely. Where, yeah, what website? They can go to getbright.com. Okay. And that's B-R-I-T-E. B-R-I-T-E. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that You've spoken at Q the, this past year at our Culture Summit, and we've had a couple topics that we've had conversations around the last couple of years, really wanting to address what's going on with our children. So I'd love to jump into just sure. what the current child today's life is like and how it's so different than the 70s and 80s when you and I grow, grew up. And I think we all intuitively know it, but maybe you could give us 
little more clear sense of what's what's going on in the world of a child right now that's unique from where it's maybe ever been in human history. So you, when you and I were growing up in the West, specifically here in the States, uh, we, we were surrounded by and swimming in what, what we would generally call a majority Christian culture, right? There may have been a few cities in America at that time that would we would call post-Christian, but for the most part, this was a majority Christian. Christianity was mainstream, right? Fast forward to today, uh, we're, we're swimming in secularism. Secularism is the water that we're swimming in, and we are uh, really rapidly becoming what we would call a post-Christian culture. Uh, Mark Sayers uh, does a good job of talking about what this means. It means that a post-Christian culture is a culture that has the goal, the goal, wants the goals of Christianity, but they want it without Christ. It's the kingdom without the king. So think about the major themes of our time, justice, uh, redemption, uh, happiness, joy. We want all these things that really are rooted in Christianity, but the mainstream culture wants the, those roots cut off, detached yep. from Christ, detached from the church and Jesus. So this is the culture that we're now living in. And I think this is important. The reason this is so important to articulate is the Barna research from a handful of years ago. It says that by the time a child is 13 or 14, their identity and their worldview is pretty much locked in, right? So think about that. We're, not, we're no longer growing up. Our kids are no longer growing up in a majority Christian culture. They're growing up in a post-Christian culture, which means the lens that they look through is the lens of secularism, uh, UBU, my body, my choice. Like these are, the, these are the narratives they've heard their entire lives. So by the time, let's say they're 10, when you articulate the gospel to them, when you teach Jesus in the Bible to them, what lenses are they looking through? They're looking through the lens of secularism. That's how they're interpreting right. uh, even the gospel and the Bible. Uh, so that, that should really jolt us, to be yeah. honest. This should really wake us up. I was reading recently Francis Schaeffer, you know, who was a great apologist, writing really in 1960s, 70s, had a lot of influence. But, I mean, even then, he's describing the world as post-Christian. I mean, we talk about it a lot yeah. right now, like it's a new thing, and some people are hearing it this decade, like, hell, we're finally in a post-Christian culture. I mean, this was 60 years ago. Yeah. It's like, look, we left God a long time ago. When you no longer look at God as the authority in the world, things start to fall apart. Yeah. Things start to, to find um, find their way in a, in a godless way, in an idolatry way. We start to see ourselves as God. We start to try to find meaning and purpose in all these other ways. And we're on the decline. So he was declaring post-Christian that many years ago. So yeah. even you and I, we grew up in these bubbles, I think. I know yeah. I did in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I was in a bubble of a church yep. and in a, that, that was probably living in an older time. And even today, there are certain pockets of that that exist. Like you can you can have a church experience that's walled off from the world in some ways, but the air we're breathing is the culture and the air we're breathing is secularism. And it's this dismissal of God and it's an emphasis on the individual and that we'll figure it out and to be skeptical of everything and to question everything, uh, deconstruct everything. And so the fact, I mean, it is alarming to hear that the worldview is shaped by 13 I know there's parents here now who are like, oh, shoot, <laughs> I missed my window. Um, there's others who have small children, and, and they should be encouraged today that yeah. you have time. And, and let's encourage those who have teenagers like you and I. You can still shape a worldview. I remember George Barna saying it takes seven years to shift a worldview. Yeah. Um, in this age, maybe you could shift it sooner because of a little more access to guided thinking or mentoring or, or coaching or putting our children in the right environments. But it's no small task to reshape. We need to start out by forming our children yeah. Yeah, forming. You know, early. Forming is the right word. That's a good word. So it's kind of two comments there. One of them um, being 
if you're tempted to say, well, this is not my community, my community is not, we're not a post-Christian world. Well, what the reason I would argue against that is the digital disruption that really ignited even rapidly in 2007, you know, yeah. with the advent of the mobile technology, uh, the digital disruption uh, in 2007, the iPhone hits the market. In that same time period, you've got Facebook, uh, pretty much an open market, uh, Twitter, and then we just keep going, Instagram, TikTok. The, there's just so much rapid information coming at our children. For them to be able to edit and sift through all of this, uh, it's, it's just impossible. They're, we're completely swimming in all this. But I also want to shift to what you were saying a moment ago, which is hope. You know, whether whether your child is 13 or 17 and maybe you're you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm kind of lagging behind here, or whether you've got a, a newborn, you're, you're, you're looking at the future with, with big hopeful eyes. I think we should be hopeful because disciple-making is fruitful, and that this is the shift we have to shift toward, I, I think, aggressively and rapidly as a church. Um, and disciple-making is really about, through, through our, according to all of our research, three major components. It's about relationships, scripture engagement, uh, and experiences. Relationship is community, the broader community of the church, and obviously you're pointing them to God, the the one we ultimately need relationship with. Uh, scripture engagement, we call that uh, believe, you know, believing. Um, Lifeways research, Barna research continues to prove and show that scripture engaging the Bible is the number one way to be a catalyst toward growing spiritually. And then thirdly, experiences. Kids need someone to walk along uh, side of them uh, to to help them navigate an ever changing world and to to be able to have experiences to really exercise what they're learning. So those three factors together, relationships, scripture, and experiences, we call those belong, believe, become. Yep. And Christian Smith's research shows that when all three are actively present in the life of that child, uh, their long term uh, probability of having an identity that's rooted as being a disciple uh, is much much higher. I know the recent book by Matt Locke and. Yeah, Kahneman. Faith for Exiles. Yeah, they, they really describe one of these features of a younger Christian that they need now more than ever is cultural discernment. And I think about that as it relates to our work at Q and our goal of helping helping people really understand how to ask the bigger questions, how to think well about culture, how to navigate all the different chaotic ideas that are in front of our kids. And to your point, it comes through relationship. It comes through mentoring. It comes through somebody walking alongside you. Yeah. helping you find and understand and discern how to act, how to live. Um, as you think about the digital disruption, I mean, how much has that just changed the game on shaping a worldview for the youth? Well, significantly, but I also think we don't completely know the answer to that question yet. You know, you probably, like me, uh, watched the Social Dilemma documentary that came out yeah. during the pandemic. We're all sitting locked in our homes. What are we going to do? We're going to watch another documentary. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think what was fascinating, I think what we all found fascinating was to see these technology inventors and creators and entrepreneurs looking at the camera saying, we created this and we didn't realize exactly what we created. So I don't know that we fully know the answer to that. But I, but I, think, I think what we now have is just yet another series of endless options. You've heard it said before, you can't scroll to the end of Facebook, you know, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. So we have a we have a big challenge, right, in helping walk alongside of our young people. Whether whether you've given your child a, a smartphone when they're twelve, or whether you've held off until they're maybe seventeen, 
there's the challenge of helping walk alongside of them. I, I don't think this is about protection. We can't protect our way out of this problem. I think it's about preparation. Yeah. So we've got to prepare. That's good. Prepare, walk alongside. Yeah. Protect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we hate to do this, but we have to hit the pause button again on the conversation between Gabe Lyons and Matt Markins of Awana on this week's Q Ideas. Now, Gabe and Matt had a lot more they talked about, so we let the tape recorder run. We'll hear the rest of their conversation next week on the show. If you can't wait, the full conversation is up now at the Q Media platform at QIdeas.org on the Q Podcast folder. And if you're not a subscriber yet, remember you can request a trial subscription. Again, visit QIdeas.org for all all the details. Matt mentioned an upcoming child discipleship forum September 16th and 17th in Nashville or virtually. It's sponsored by Awana, but you don't have to be part of Awana to benefit. A lot of great speakers are going to be part of it. Gabe Lyons along with Ed Stetzer from the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton, Barna's David Kinneman, Awana's Valerie Bell, some of the people you've heard before here on Q Ideas. To learn more, go to ResilientDisciples.com and click on Forum. Again, ResilientDisciples.com and then click on Forum on the menu. And now we do want to take a few moments here, Gabe, at the end of the show to again talk about that special educational experience for Christian leaders starting up this fall that we talked about last week. It's called The Collaborative. Remind us about that again. The Collaborative is an eight-month learning experience, a cohort of sorts, that's going to bring together 100 leaders who want to go deeper with Q ideas and how we better understand the culture, the issues, the current events, and how we as leaders can faithfully navigate that. Whether you're a church leader, an entrepreneur, a business leader, working in film and entertainment, wherever your vocation is, this is going to be a space for you to step away, to gain perspective, to go deeper, to anchor what it means to be faithful in this moment. So here's the goal. Let's spend the next eight months together. If you're a leader and you feel compelled right now that you need to go deeper as a leader, you need to go deeper in your understanding of the times to know what to do, what you ought to do as a leader, how you ought to lead the people around you, how you ought to lead your family, your friends, your local community, then this is going to be an opportunity for you to go deeper with us here at Q Ideas. So if you'd like to learn more about The Collaborative, this eight-week special leadership learning experience, simply visit qideas.org slash cohort. Again, qideas.org slash cohort for all the details. Well, thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. More of Gabe's conversation with Matt Markins of Awana next week, and we hope you join us then. On behalf of Gabe, I'm Paul Perot. Have a blessed week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.